The lights I installed at my house won't turn off. Written by Creative Cloud 19. I finally got around to installing some lights in my side yard at my house. You know, the ones that automatically turn on when someone walks in front of it. My parents always had them at my childhood home. As an adult woman who now lives on her own, I decided it was a pretty decent security measure. I added a total of four lights to my house. One in the front, one in the back, and one on either side of my house. Didn't seem overkill, especially since I am paranoid and being home alone in the dark bothers me more than anything. Hell, my electric bill is as expensive as it is because I leave lights on in dark rooms. Again, I am a female who lives alone so I believe this to certainly be justifiable. The lights worked perfectly for the first few nights. One or two would click on and then go off a few minutes later. Now I should mention that I live in Florida so we have a lot of wildlife that walks through yards here. It's not unusual for a possum or a raccoon to wander through my yard in the middle of the night. Not to mention outdoor cats that are loose in my neighborhood as well. Even squirrels and lizards that walk close enough to the sensor set these things off because they're the highly sensitive ones. However, the other night I ran into an issue. One of the lights is positioned next to a window which is over the sink in my kitchen. The side yard is small because there's a fence separating mine from my neighbors. I was loading the dishwasher at about 9.30. I always do this before I start to head to bed. And the light clicked on. It scared me because I'm still getting used to them. So I quickly took a glance out the window. There was a possum crawling along the fence, but also staring directly at me as if it was annoyed I was disrupting its nightly stroll. I waved to it like it could see me and continued loading the dishes. I grabbed my water bottle from the fridge and headed out of the kitchen, ready to go down the hall and the light still remained on. I didn't think anything of it since they normally stay on for a bit, then click off. I stopped to turn back around and watch the window, making sure the light was going to turn off. However, it didn't. Another few moments passed by and the light still refused to turn off. My throat was dry now because this type of thing scares me, so I slowly approached the window to look out of it. For a minute, I was relieved because I saw nothing. I figured it was a technical error, so I went to bed and said I'd fix it in the morning. The next day I got up and headed outside to inspect the light. When I got below it, I noticed the light was off, and upon waving my hand up and in front of the sensor, it clicked on. 
I just assumed I didn't wait long enough for it to shut off. So I went back inside and went about my Saturday afternoon. It was later that night when I was boiling some water for pasta. The light clicked on again. This time, I completely ignored it and went about making my dinner. I hadn't even noticed that in the 15 minutes it took me to cook the pasta, serve it, and get the pan washed, the light was still on. I picked up my bowl of pasta, which was on the counter next to the sink, and when I glanced up, I froze. The electronic floodlight was on, and hanging down in front of the window was a head, like someone was on my roof leaning down and over the edge. Everything was washed out by the bright light, so it only appeared as a shadow. But it was enough to make me go cold and numb. The only detail I was able to see was the faint white of whoever's eyes as their head hung over the side of my house. Their short hair was also hanging down and was blown by the small wind gust. My mouth was open in shock, yet no sound was coming out. I was incapable of moving. I watched as the head slowly slid upwards and out of sight, I'm assuming, onto my roof. The light, however, remained on. Engaging in my fight or flight response, I dropped my bowl of pasta and headed down my hallway for my phone, which was resting next to the TV. While I was quickly moving, whoever was on my roof was moving too. I heard loud scurrying and scratching above me as it scampered across my roof. I stopped, scrambling to pick up my phone, and the scampering above me continued for a few seconds. I dialed 911 and allowed it to ring as I stood there. At this point, I now stood in my living room, which has double doors leading to the backyard. It's meant to add to the open floor plan this house advertised. While I stood there, the light at the back of my house clicked on and lit up my backyard. It made me speechless as the 911 operator had already come on the line and was asking me what my emergency was. I watched the windows frantically as the light continued to wash out my backyard. And then I saw it. Slowly sliding from above was the shadow of the head. It was peering into the window, looking at me. I could still see the faint white of its eyes and now the slight white of their teeth. Whether they were smiling or not, I could not tell. What followed is a sound that I could still hear, even when it's quiet. There was a sound of tapping. 
like a nail on glass. It sounded as if it was tapping on my window, asking to be let in. But I saw no arm or hand reaching down to do so. I backed up and out of sight of the window and into the hallway. The 911 operator was still asking that I give a location. There's someone on my roof, I said quietly, thinking whatever it was could hear me. Pardon me, ma'am? There's someone on my roof. They're watching me. I think they're going to try and break in, I said again. The operator told me to stay out of sight and wait for the officers to show up. So I did. I remained seated in my hallway for what felt like hours and listened to the continued tapping. Whatever it was, was still asking to be let in. Asking me to come back to the window. It was merely 20 minutes till I heard the sirens and the tapping stopped once they were in auditory range. I'll say what I said to the cops, which is, I know this sounds crazy because once the cops were outside and asking me to come out, the lights were now off. No floodlights, no heads, no eyes, and no tapping. Yet here I stood, and my driveway sounded like a crazy person to the police. I gave my statement and allowed them to check out the property. After further inspection, I was walked around to the right side of my house, which is where I first saw the head, and I was told that my gate was unlocked and open. What do you think? What should I do? Should I go somewhere for the night? I asked the officer who was walking me back to my front door. If you really want to know what I think, I think you left your gate unlocked when you went to check the light this morning, he said flatly. What about the person? The sounds? Someone was there. I also think the lights casted some shadows of an animal walking by, and a raccoon decided to have a field day on your roof. He attempted to calm my tone. There's no footprints, no scuff marks, no scratches on the window, only paw prints. I think you need a good night's sleep and to relax tomorrow. So I took his word for it. I watched them drive away from the window and headed to bed. I had to put my earbuds in to listen to music so that I couldn't hear the tapping and the scratching in my head. Tonight is when the situation got more serious than it already has. I was sitting in the living room watching a movie when the light behind my house came on yet again. Still shaken by the night before, I instantly muted my TV. At this point, the only light that was coming into my house now was from the floodlight and the movie. I sat in silence watching the windows. My eyes darted around frantically even to the windows that were not lit. The minute I unmuted my TV is when I heard 
the sound again. The scratching and the scraping, like something was being dragged across my rooftop. I jumped up from my seat, knocking the remote off my lap and onto the floor. I let the sounds of the movie mix with the horrible sounds above me. I grabbed my phone and had 911 ready to dial, and watched the windows with more interest than I had before. The scraping turned into thumping now. Footsteps, maybe. Something was up there. I could feel my house shake. The frames on my walls rattled and some fell off. I watched the one window in my living room start to become dark. Something was crawling down from my roof. And all I could see was the shadow of it. A human figure with its arms and legs longer and stretched out. It scratched and thumped as it climbed down the wall of my house and over my window. It moved like a spider the way it was able to slowly come down. I watched as it rotated and moved horizontal, disappearing from the window and moving to the wall. It was now in between the windows and I had now lost sight of it. I retreated to the spot in my hallway, more shaken than the night before. And once again, I dialed 911, giving the exact same information details and location and more officers were on the way. The operator asked that I remained on the phone with her, so I did. The scratching continued as the figure, I'm assuming, was moving around. While I sat there, the shaking mess that I was, I watched as my house became flooded with light. One by one, the lights turned on. It was silent for a while after this. My house remained lit up and I was cowering on the phone. I was impatient for the police to arrive, so I asked how far away they were. And there was no response. Ma'am, how far away are they? The noises here stopped, but I think they're still outside, I repeated. All that followed were raspy breaths through the phone speaker, like someone was clinging to their last breath of life. Ma'am, are you okay? Did I lose connection? I attempted to get a verbal response. The only response I got was chilling. You have to let us in now, Casey. The tapping on the windows began again, louder, at every window. The scratching began on the roof again, louder. I shrieked and threw my phone across the hall. I have tucked myself inside my hall closet now. My phone is on 10%, and I've used my battery to write this out because I don't even know if the police are coming. I don't even know if I even actually talked to a real 911 operator. The tapping is still occurring on my windows 
and I could hear it moving around, from wall to wall, trying to catch sight of me. The lights are still on. She hit the ground head first. Written by Palpatine88888. My father is friends with a shaman. We live in Taiwan, by the way. Taiwan is a very superstitious country, which is why shamans are so popular here. Most of these shamans are usually frauds who just want your money, but this one is the real deal. We'll call him Mr. Shin, which is not his real name, of course. Mr. Shin is quite famous in his line of work. He has extensive police connections, mostly because the police occasionally seek him for advice when encountering a cold case they can't solve. And of course, he has lots of stories to tell. I'm going to tell a particularly disturbing story from his perspective. See what you can make out of it yourself. This happened decades ago, back when I was still working in Tainan. I had set up shop near Yanghua Temple, where I would receive clients that needed my assistance with the supernatural. It was one stormy night when I was about to close the shop for the day. A disheveled young man in a yellow raincoat stumbled into my shop, clearly distraught. Are you alright? I asked gently, pouring a cup of warm tea and handing it to the young man. He grabbed the cup and his hand slipped, the cup shattering to the floor in a dozen pieces. Please sir, you must help me. I'm gonna die in seven days. Please, I don't want to die. I lit a candle as he shakily settled down into a chair, muttering a few prayers of good fortune to my patron goddess, Guan Yin. I knew this was going to be a long night. My girlfriend committed suicide this morning. I see. I'm sorry for your loss. It's my fault. It's all my fucking fault. I shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. His voice cracked again. And I handed him a box of tissue paper. I'm afraid I don't know your name, Mr. Hank. He breathed. Look, Mr. Shin. I cheated on my girlfriend and she somehow found out this morning. She sent me a text message and then jumped off a building dressed in red. I tensed. This was not a good sign. A person dressed in red before committing suicide would become a vengeful spirit. In seven days, the spirit would return to the land of the living and seek revenge on the person responsible. 
What did she tell you? She told me that she would never forgive me. And that she would come back to haunt me. Even in death. I see. I steepled my fingers in deep thought. What happened after? I can't sleep, Mr. Shin. Whenever I close my eyes, all I would see is her. Vengeful spirits are especially difficult to deal with. Usually I try to negotiate with the spirits, offering them prayers and gifts. But if push comes to shove, I would not hesitate to confront them directly. I'm going to perform a powerful cleansing ritual, Mr. Yang. If this doesn't get rid of her, nothing will. I handed Mr. Yang a bundle of incense sticks and lit them. The moment his hands touched the sticks, however, they rapidly decayed and crumbled away. <sighs> Mr. Yang, I sighed as I laid back in my chair. I'm afraid I can't help you. Your girlfriend wants your life. Even I cannot stop her without risking my own. However, I said thoughtfully, as the man was about to suffer from another emotional breakdown. That does not mean we cannot fool her. Upon hearing this, Mr. Yang's eyes lit up with hope. You're saying there's another way? Your girlfriend committed suicide. Her body is stiff from rigor mortis, and her spirit remains trapped in that state as well. I don't understand. She remains stiff, as in being able to move around but unable to bend down. Only after her vengeance is complete, she can finally move freely. This is a common feature among Yung Qingwei, vengeful spirit that has wronged before her death and a weakness we can exploit. I wrote his name and the date of birth on his straw doll and asked for a sample of Mr. Yang's hair. A few incantations later, the doll had been infused with a sliver of Yang's life energy. On the seventh day, just before midnight, you will put this doll on the bed. This doll will serve as a decoy and the ghost is likely to attack it instead of you. However, it is also possible that she'll see through our little trick. Therefore, your best bet is to hide. You will hide under your bed and no matter what happens, you will stay there until dawn. Why the bed? Why not the closet or somewhere else? I told you, the ghost cannot bend itself in any way. Hiding under the bed is the safest way to get you out of this mess. He nodded vigorously. I understand, Mr. Shen. She will create illusions. She will pretend to be your parents, your friends, or someone you know. Do not come out from your hiding place no matter what. 
nor should you make any sound indicating that you are there. I'll do as you ask, Mr. Shin. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You saved my life. Not yet, I warrant sternly. You must follow these instructions very closely. A single mistake can get you killed. He kept thanking me on the way out. So long as he doesn't do anything stupid, I was pretty certain he would make it out alive. After all, I had dealt with similar cases before. Oh, how wrong I was. Exactly seven days later, a local police inspector whom I know visited my shop and asked me for assistance. He told me that Mr. Yang was found dead in his apartment this morning, his horribly mangled body hidden underneath the bed. No signs of an intruder were found. We found the doll, the inspector said, holding up the straw decoy in a plastic bag. He consulted you a few days prior to his death, apparently. Yes? I racked my brains in utter confusion. My plan was supposed to have worked, perfectly, as it always did. What the hell went wrong? I filled the inspector in on Yang's story. He visibly paled when I mentioned that he was supposed to hide under the bed. The inspector shook his head. You shouldn't have let him do that. Why? He probably didn't tell you or maybe he didn't know. Anyway, his girlfriend committed suicide. Yeah, yeah, he told me that. By jumping off a building, she hit the ground head first. I felt chills up my spine as I imagined Yang's last moments hiding under the bed hoping that the vengeful spirit won't find him until he found himself face to face with his girlfriend's mangled face upside down because she had hit the ground head first. My terminally ill grandmother broke character. Written by Unlikely Public 55. My grandmother has been severely ill my entire life. She has smoked cigarettes for over 50 years and is still a heavy smoker. She was diagnosed with a bad case of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease at a fairly young age before I was even born, but she never stopped smoking. I'm a 20 year old man now and my grandma is still alive. Even though she has suffered multiple heart attacks and strokes and been diagnosed with coronary artery disease and lung cancer. I remember my mom explaining me that grandma is very sick and will die soon when I was just a little kid. 
All my life she's either been sitting in a wheelchair or on the couch or walking extremely slowly with the roller to her. Only times when she stands up during the day are the moments when she goes to the balcony for a cigarette or needs to use the bathroom. In both of these situations, she almost always needs help from my grandfather too. She's often very grumpy and you rarely see her smiling. I've always liked to think that she's grumpy and annoyed only because of her illnesses. And I've never saw her as mean or a bad person. She had a habit of giving me and my siblings pocket money every Friday, only on the condition that we acted right and fulfilled our responsibilities, like schoolwork and housework. We lived only a mile away from my grandparents, and my school was right next to their house. I could even see their backyard on break time, and sometimes my grandfather was there doing some yard work and waving at me. I normally went on to pick up my weekly pocket money right after school on Fridays. The typical meeting was very quick and quiet. I knocked on the door and waited for my grandpa to come and slowly opened the door. He always opened it just a little bit, softly said hello and pushed his hand through the door gap. I took the money, thanked him. At that point, the door was already almost closed. Usually the visit was just that short, but sometimes grandma wanted to come see me quickly and walked very slowly to the door with her rollator. I remember the typical situations where I only met Grandpa at the door and tried to view Grandma from the little gap that was open. It always looked dark, shadowy, and quiet inside. And I thought that Grandma was probably taking a nap. I liked the tradition of getting to meet my grandparents every Friday and it was always a nice start for my weekend. But then... One Friday afternoon, when I was about 13 or 14 years old, and going to pick up my money, something very weird happened. And that sight still gives me chills and deep anxiety. It was a sunny autumn day, and I got out of school a bit earlier than usual took my bicycle out of the bike stand and headed to my grandparents' house. Like I said, it was a little earlier than usual, so they weren't waiting for me yet. I went on to knock on their door, but no one came to open it. I waited for a moment, but still, no one came. I was about to leave and thought no one was home until I heard some noises from inside thought they just didn't hear my first knocks and knocked again, a bit harder than last time. It still took a while, but finally the door opened, even less than normally. It was dark, and I could see the fuzzy figure of my grandpa who didn't even say hello this time. He just gave me my money and whispered that grandma was sleeping because they were not expecting me to come yet this point, the door gap was a bit bigger so I could see into their living room, 
where there was some kind of dim light. I was a little ashamed about my sudden visit and decided to whisper back that I was sorry and that my school just ended earlier that day. But before I could say anything, I heard intensifying footsteps coming out of the living room and immediately after, I saw my grandmother running through the living room in a weird, creepy, and unnatural-looking forward-bent posture, not moving her arms at all. I looked there for probably half a second, but I was so terrified that it felt like a minute. Grandpa just slammed the door shut in front of my face. I stayed behind the door, almost shaking from fear and shock. So many thoughts were in my head. How could grandma move so fast? She is very ill and can't even walk without support. Why did grandpa lie about her nap? What the hell was that? As I started to walk away to get my bike and leave, I calmed down and think that maybe she wasn't moving that fast or mom has exaggerated her bad condition. I didn't even really believe those explanations. I, I just had to get some logical reason for myself to calm down. I walked over the grass to get my bike that was parked right under my grandparents' bedroom. I hopped on it and took a quick look at the window that was right next to my face. And what I saw still haunts me even after all of these years find it hard to think and explain, but my grandma was staring right at me with big, wide open eyes and a deranged smile. She didn't even look like my grandma, or she did, but the, the expression was something my grandma would never do with her face. She looked similar to the Momo face that roamed the internet a couple of years ago. She seemed to be sitting or squatting on the floor because her face was on the lower edge of the window. I was instantly terrified by the thought of her being there, stalking me with that disturbing face while I stood there calming down and was slowly starting to leave. I remember hiding my fear and responding to her stare with a little smile, but she didn't react at all. And then, my grandpa ran behind her and closed the curtains. I cycled home fast and told my mom the whole story, which she basically just ignored thinking that I was over-exaggerating her speed. She couldn't understand why I was scared of her looking at me from the window, but she wasn't there. My grandma wasn't looking at me, she was stalking at me. After that day, I didn't get my pocket money for weeks. As time passed, I started to go visit them, first with my mother and later alone again. Grandma was always like I remembered. She can't even walk without support. No one ever mentioned anything about that day again. My grandparents were asking why I suddenly stopped visiting on Fridays. I know my grandpa remembers that, but I've always been too scared to ask. I 
kind of just want to forget about the whole thing and spend as much time with my grandparents as possible. But I will never forget that day. My terminally ill grandmother ran like a child and stalked me through the window like a psychopath. What was that? <laughs> 